Hi everyone, my name is Navridi. And I'm Eric. And welcome to our podcast, Above and Below, where we interview changemakers and industry experts to help us explore how we're shaping our culture and how it's shaping us. place I think I feel like that's a topic we talk about a lot and it's something we've seen that's been very desirable through the work that we've been doing as well yeah it's definitely the reason why Navridi and I came together to do our consulting work because we cared a lot about better work environments and Mm -hmm. seeing how we can inject ourselves to alleviate some of those more toxic Mm -hmm places and you know hearing our friends complain about work all the time especially in New York mm-hmm. where we are kind of consumed by work yeah and i think just the pressures of you know the modern workplace and especially in, in the tech world you know we see a lot of the long hours and you know a lot of people are eating lunch at their desks a lot of people sometimes even forget to have lunch <laughs> and it's you know and i think there's just been a lot more focus on having a more open and inclusive physical environment. You know, people don't want to be confined to cubicles. You know, they want to have more options and more flexible spaces. Right. Um, But, you know, we see a lot of connection here um, between not just the space itself, but incorporating wellness programming into in in offices you know i know i've gone to places like the assemblage or even uh, places like we work where you know you see meditation uh, rooms and where you see just programming is very much elevated and focused on you know engaging your senses and uh and and also on mindfulness Yeah, I think more employers are realizing the importance of incorporating wellness. So I think we're really excited to have Liz here today. Mm -hmm. Do you want to introduce her? Yes. So we have Liz Wilkes here today. She is the founder and CEO of Exuberancy, which is a wellness company. And we're very curious to speak with you about how you got started in wellness and where you see the evolution of uh, wellness in the workplace going. Welcome, Liz. Hi, guys. Thanks for having me. Hello. (laughs) So wellness, I mean, this is uh, such a big topic, but, you know, we'd love to start off uh, and have you tell us about exuberancy and what was it that drove you to to start this venture? Yeah, well, so... On Exuberancy, we bring corporate wellness programming into offices. So our our sort of core offering is finding incredible, inspiring wellness professionals that um, have the time to go into offices and start leading sessions, building community within those spaces instead of inside of the traditional sort of big box gym or boutique fitness setting or spa setting. Um, We work with like 500 companies around the country and have a team, a very large team at this point of, of uh, national wellness pros that are incredible. Um, and so to answer your question, how I got into this, it's kind of like a tale as old as time, the person in the wellness space who um, experienced burnout, experienced a lack of wellness in their lives, and uh, spoiler alert, then kind of turned towards the light. Um, But so in my case, when I was in my early 20s, I launched a small business. It was called the Holiday Lighting Pros of Seattle. It was a Christmas lighting company based Mm -hmm. in Seattle. 
hence the name. I started it with one of my best friends and we kind of in a very like young and free way. We're like, we're moving to Seattle. We're starting a Christmas lighting company because <laughs> we heard about this amazing couple that ran a similar company in San Francisco. And we were like, we could, we could do that. Um, so we moved in with my friend's parents and kind of threw our entire lives into launching this company. And so I'm there, you know, 23-year-old. Um, kind of like the energy that's, you know, some young people put into like going out every night. Not to say I didn't go out a lot, but like I was really throwing all of my energy into just like working around the clock and making this business work. Uh, so not sleeping very much, certainly eating really poorly. I have like terrible memories of just like eating cheese toast for every meal mm. because it was like so easy to make and so delicious. Um, and then I, yeah, I just, I just kind of was running on fumes for years. I, uh, and kind of looked around after a, a time and was like, oh my gosh, like I self-identify as such like a vibrant, happy person. And I'm like looking in the mirror right now and not seeing that person anymore. Um, I, I feel like I was kind of a muted version of myself after just like not being aware for a long time and not, frankly, not investing any time in self-care. Um, growing up, done a lot better. You know, I'd played sports. I'd, my mom had been a yoga teacher in her early days. And so mm -hmm. she kind of taught me breathing techniques that got me through a lot of my childhood. Um, but they'd been long abandoned by the time I got to my 20s. So after um, a couple of years kind of running this company, loving a lot of it, but also kind of running myself into the ground, I um, decided that it would be a cool next step to perhaps look at graduate school. I um, had been an English major at a liberal, liberal arts college where I'd taken classes like... Um, like music of the world and like video art. So I, I loved business, but didn't have a lot of like hard business skills and thought it could be a useful like leg up and whatever was next for me. So I um, enrolled at Columbia and started their MBA program. And just by the very nature of kind of um, reestablishing habits, going back to school, I um, saw some really profound quick changes in my life. So just like running in Central Park mm -hmm. started really creating a shift for me. I think that was kind of the first thing. And then I, you know, utilizing the gym, which is right next door to Euros Hall up at Columbia. And then um, pretty soon after that, Deepak Chopra was actually a guest professor at the school. And so I took a class with him um, where he introduced some really simple techniques that were really geared towards um, people in the business world, you know, because that was the, the business school class he was speaking to. And he also just had so many sort of profound insights on how you merge the sort of like contemplative world with the the business world. And he's, for those who, who know his work, he's a prolific author. He's an incredible businessman, but he's also created like major shifts for a lot of people around mm -hmm. discovering meditation and mindfulness and all kinds of other sort of um contemplative practices and sciences. Um, so that lit a spark for me, for sure. And so once I started engaging in all of these um, sort of newfound uh, practices and kind of grasping onto these newfound tools, I had like a like textbook shift in my life. It was like suddenly I was sleeping well, like my skin cleared up, I lost weight. I know it's like so stupid like talk about that kind of like really vain stuff, but it was like 
I going back to looking in the mirror, like I literally was a different person and I could see like lights in my eyes for like the first time in a long, long time. And um, at first I thought it was like a very personal thing that had nothing to do with my career. But um, as I started to think about what I wanted to do next, I just couldn't like divorce my personal evolution from my future, like hopes and dreams. And I uh, got really curious about corporate wellness. And I can tell you a lot more there, but I'll, I'll pause. Yeah, thanks for sharing that. That's It's really interesting coming from a business background. And, and when you mentioned Deepak Chopra, it's, it's an interesting topic because, you know, we're in this space as well and always wondering, you know, are we treating... Um, the symptom, or or we should are we really addressing you know the cause mm-hmm. of what's creating these toxic workplaces or challenges in business? Like, so how do you see yourself um, framing your business to uh, corporations? Like, are they being receptive? Do you feel like you are getting somewhere by doing this work, or how are you seeing the work now? Yeah, well. It's a really interesting way of framing it, the symptom or the cause, because I think by the time we reach people in their corporate offices, like they're grownups, right? They're far into their evolution. They've created lots of habits and we know how hard habits are to break. Um, So I do think we're trying to get to the root of sort of what's ailing the modern workplace, the modern professional, right? But um, Sometimes the beginnings are, are small changes for sure. Um, I focus on bringing meditation programming, fitness classes, and massage therapy to offices. And those are kind of our, our big three because I think that they address stress and burnout and you know physical health in sort of different ways. And, and there's definitely something for everyone. So it's likely that there will be people that don't want to work out with their colleagues, but they may take 10 minutes for themselves to get a, a massage. And they might not do something like that out of the office. Mm-hmm. Um, I think that we are unlocking um, for a lot of people a willingness to invest in self-care. And I think that does start getting to the symptom. Um, when I think really big and think really long-term, I certainly believe that this sort of education and these sort of programs really need to start earlier. Like I certainly never learned a meditation in school. I was never like taught about empathy and in school, like, like all these things that we're trying to get at now, like, gosh, hopefully one day we'll all be talking about it way earlier in people's lives. Mm -hmm. So Liz, tell us a bit more about why you think there has been more of a focus on bringing wellness into the workplace. Yeah, absolutely. Well, there's a lot of forces in play. And we, so Exuberancy launched in 2013. So we've been around for about six years and we've seen a pretty radical shift. Corporate wellness wasn't a new concept by any means six years ago, but I think the level of awareness that companies have about the need for these sorts of programs and the budgets that we're seeing allocated to these sorts of programs are are really um, evolving quickly. Uh, A few factors at play. I mean, I think a lot of um, senior leaders are are finding that these are tools that are helping them succeed. There's really incredible examples of CEOs um, sort of uh, attributing a lot of their um, success, their sanity 
to finding a meditation practice or to, you know, finding a CrossFit gym that really inspires mm-hmm. them, et cetera. Um, so when, as that starts changing, and, and I think this is happening alongside sort of an evolution of just the wellness world, world at large, um, not surprisingly, there's a, a trickle-down effect where senior leaders are more, more likely to okay, you know, grander budgets to take better care of their people because it's, it's so personal for them. Um, I also think that as the workforce shifts towards a more millennial heavy population, um, that generation, um, which I'm probably like the older side of, you know, is it's not a nice to have, it's it's a, a must have. And there's like so much competition for talent, especially in the tech space. So a young person that um, cares about their own well-being is probably going to rule out a company that is not showing any sort of... Um, real demonstration of a commitment to investing in their people's well-being. So I I think there's a lot of awareness that in order to get the best people, you really have to be an employer that stands out um, about caring. Can you give us an example of an employer you worked with where it was a bit more of a challenge? Yeah, I don't know if I want to name any names, but there's there's been a lot. And I think sometimes people... um, expect that the best client for us would be one where people are, you know, totally burned out and um, maybe having issues with retention um, and they're like waving a flag going, oh my God, exuberancy, we need you. It doesn't really work that way. It tends to be the best clients for us are already showing a real commitment to wellness and they are at a point where they need to like formalize it and take it to the next level. Um, We've gosh, horror stories. Like we had a, a office that was really, really just um, a high stress environment where one of our meditation teachers was leading a session. And in the middle of a, a deep meditation, the CEO ran into the room and, and started yelling at someone who was sitting in the meditation and said, what are, you, what are you doing in here right now? Like, how can you not be working on this project? And just created this like totally disruptive experience, not just for that poor employee, but for everyone who was going, you know, so the, there's, there's certainly those stories. Um, but for us, it's really uh, the companies that where the senior leadership gets it, that, that we find, you know, really starting to like, take things to the next level with their wellness offerings. Yeah, I feel like it's very important for leadership to be on board, uh, you know, to really have these programs be impactful. Um, so would you, So I guess, would you say you've never really needed to, like, convince a company to be like, hey, you need a wellness program, you know? If you have these issues, you mentioned maybe employee, uh, like a lack of employee retention, um, burnout is happening very often. Um, are these things that you identify or look for uh, in, in, in like trying to determine whether a company needs a wellness program? Mm-hmm. When I first launched the company, I thought so much of my job was going to be going into meetings and making exactly that pitch. Mm-hmm. Like, here's the ROI, you need a wellness program to you know, improve retention and recruit better talent and reduce burnout and reduce stress. And there's incredible data out there supporting that. Um, but I do think, for the most part, we end up working with companies that are already there. We really become this sort of like implementation partner. And the crazy thing is I, I feel like all companies at this point understand that a great supportive place to work has resources to support employee well-being. Whether they can get their culture there whether, you know, I mean, many sort of more established industries, whether it's the legal industry, finance, et cetera, 
it's not that the CEO is saying, oh no, I don't care about wellness. It's like, it's, it's such a massive cultural shift. It's mm-hmm. like really changes the way people do business. I mean, even in, in legal, I, I, I feel um, that it's especially challenging because people are billing for their time, right? So it's like literally people stepping away from their desk means that they're making you know, less in a, in a work day. And of course, right. we being deep in the profession can argue that yes, but the return on that time away is probably for their mental health, for their um, the quality of the work, it's worth it. But it's it's really hard to make that um, that argument. Yeah, I guess it's kind of like the proof is in the pudding. You have to try it out and do it to actually reap the benefits and know that it works. Um, I know, you know, through our work and being a meditation teacher myself, you know, working with a lot of entrepreneurs, everyone just feels much more open to connect and and actually more more motivated and more productive. But um, I can see how you know, there is that kind of bridge where you just have to do it to feel convinced. <laughs> totally. Gosh, it's so interesting, like, just to piggyback on that, the effects of, of doing meditation in the, in the workplace, mm-hmm. um, certainly it has individual benefits for, you know, reducing stress and, and building resiliency, but it also creates such an incredible um, evolution in terms of the relationship between employees, the, like, the empathy that people sort of like baseline feel for the people that share that space with them when they meditate. And then also, I mean, I'm always thinking about how the people, you know, it's it's rarely a massive percentage of employees that participate in a session. You know, schedules are tough. Not everyone buys in. You know, you, we might be at a 500-person company and have 20 people in a meditation session. But all 500 at least know that their company is investing in this resource for them and know it's it's there for them if and when they want to access it. And then for those 20 people that participate in the session, they're going out into the office and, and they've had a, a shift. Maybe it's a small shift on a given day, but that is something that really they take with them into their workday. And um, I'm always fascinated. Uh, everyone has mirror neurons in their brain and we're actually trained to mimic um, the the you know the mental the cognitive functioning of, of people that are around us and so if you you know emerge from a conference room having had a meditation experience and then go into your next meeting with sort of that lens it really does um, positively uh, affect other people in your space mm-hmm. so it's it's fascinating yeah you're not gonna leave meditation and then choose someone out yeah. <laughs> over something or yeah. maybe you, <laughs> maybe Some, you will yeah, most people may not. <laughs> That's really interesting. Um, so you've been doing this now for six years. That's a long time. And now you're working with a real estate company. How has that shifted the way you're doing your work? And like practically, what is what is it that you're doing week by week? Yeah. So two years ago, Exuberancy was acquired by Tish Inspire, which is a amazing global real estate company that has epic sort of... Um, large properties across across the world, um, like Rockefeller Center and uh, other great spaces. Um, and it's interesting because we've seen these major shifts in corporate wellness, but I think more recently there's been a very epic shift in, um, in the real estate space because landlords are realizing, similarly to offices that are you know, really desperate to attract and retain amazing talent, real estate, 
you know, corporate real estate, they're looking to attract and retain amazing tenants and really, you know, forward-thinking, thriving companies. And so that means that the the sort of offering of a landlord has to shift to uh, mirror the, sh- the shifting workplace. So in the case of Tishman Spire, which has been, I think, incredibly forward-thinking and in, in, um, in this regard, they're really working to turn their properties into vertical neighborhoods that support their tenants in a variety of different ways. Um, and so us joining forces with them was a, a major step in that direction because they are trying to infuse wellness very broadly defined. So convenience and sort of streamlining life and having access to wellness programming and um, having community programs that bring people together into all of their sort of their experiences. They launched a, a program called Zoe. Um, that is basically the overarching like framework for bringing people together in their properties. They also mm. have like amazing zoo lounges and clubhouses, and um, it's a really cool, cool thing to be a part of. Yeah, so it's a lot about that authentic connection, and perhaps you know, like the journey that you went through, just bringing back that light <laughs> back within yourself. Yeah, um, I like that term, vertical neighborhoods. Yeah, yeah. I mean, we you think about like the old. I always imagine like the village from uh, Beauty and the Beast, you know, with everyone, hello, hello, you know, like that used to be how people went to work, right? Uh And how how often now do you have 20 people in an elevator all looking at their phones, right? So if you can break out of that, it's it's huge. Yeah. I just want to take a step back quickly. Um, Of course, we've been talking about, you know, wellness this entire time, but I actually would love to, you know, get from you uh, an idea of how, how would you personally describe wellness, well-being, and its purpose? Yeah. Um, well, I'll speak from a personal standpoint first. Um, I think that investing in wellness um, has a major effect on relationships and like sort of like finding your place in in your community and in the world. Like, you know, I think many people and myself included aspire to be a force for good in in this world. But in order to do so, in order to radiate that sort of energy, you like have to come from a place of authentic well-being. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think about it all the time. I mean, with my with my corporate team, if I come into the office, um, you know, displaying visible signs of stress, it, like we talked about before, I mean, it really, it really is contagious. Um, my protecting my own well-being is so key for being able to like do the work that I want to do in the world. And I think that if I'd continued down that path where I was letting myself get burned out when I started my first company, um, I, I, you know, probably would be less inspired and probably wouldn't be able to work for myself because that takes a fire that if you extinguish it, you know, you don't have much to work from. Mm. And going back into, you know, the work that you're, that you've expanded into, you know, from pro- wellness programming into real estate and and wellness, uh, can you tell us how you incorporate wellness through the design or the physical environments of a space? Yeah, well, so a really interesting evolution um, for our company in the last uh, year or so has been really looking at at the office outside of the programs that we're running and and thinking more big picture about the spaces that we're activating and also sort of the evolution of spaces in the workplace. Um, This has sort of been a natural evolution because a lot of our clients have sort of grown up 
alongside of us. They've you know scaled quickly, and suddenly a company that was very happy to have people doing yoga in a conference room for many years is moving to a new office and saying, "Wow, yoga is really important for our office. Let's build a yoga studio." Um, so to sort of keep pace with them, we're we're building out the um, we're very well positioned, I would say, to build out the competency to uh, design, start designing and actually managing those spaces for clients. Uh, we're really excited. We're about to launch a program with um, a top tech company in, in uh, San Francisco uh, where they're building a state-of-the-art, gorgeous fitness center with um, a yoga space, a fitness uh, boutique fitness studio space, a contemplative space, and then like incredible equipment, et cetera. And we're going to staff two people full-time to work at their office um, as sort of exuberancy wellness mm-hmm. liaisons. They'll each be teaching seven classes a week, but then when they're not teaching, they're going to be on the company Slack channel, sort of getting people excited about various wellness initiatives. They'll be roaming the office, leading stretch breaks and offering people water to stay hydrated. And we're really going to be experimenting with um, sort of how having an internal wellness champion, or in this case two, can um, further shift the culture. So that's the perfect example of a company just like quickly evolving and us saying, okay, great, this is this is what's next. It's interesting you mentioned a, a big tech company in San Francisco because I was chuckling to myself when Salesforce came out. I, won't, I don't know if it's Salesforce, but <laughs> you know, they're building and then they were Salesforce. like, okay, good. <laughs> but they came out and, you know, great company, um, but they were putting a meditation, they're putting a meditation center on like, I guess every floor and it was like, or is everybody going to meditate to sell more things? And, you know, I was just kind of joking, but I'm wondering like, is wellness in the workplace starting to reflect back into the business models at all? Or are people maybe rethinking the role of social good maybe into what they do for work? Mm-hmm. Yeah, I mean, there's it's definitely happening. I think that a company like Salesforce that's making a big investment in, in mindfulness, it's probably reflective of how their leadership is is thinking about um, you know supporting their people. And that probably bleeds over to you know, their product. I know they do a lot of great work with nonprofits, et cetera. I don't know too much about the business, but it's all interconnected, right? So I think that um, I find that it's actually more rare that we see a sort of like superficial application of like large scale wellness programming. I, I, I do think it, off, it often aligns with a like larger social good and a more conscious sort of like impact strategy for a company. I love that companies like Patagonia is a company that I've admired for so long. And this week, there's a news story about how (laughs) they're no longer going to make Patagonia vests for Mm -hmm. companies that they don't feel share their values. Like, I think that's an incredible example of like, you know, it, it really, no one wants to feel like these sorts of initiatives are superficial and gosh, that's a company putting their money where their mouth is. Mm -hmm. Yeah, for our listeners, I don't know if everybody knows the notorious Patagonia vests and how all the VC (laughs) guys around San Francisco would wear them and they'd kind of become a joke after a while. Yeah, they're ubiquitous. So, But Patagonia is a great company. Mm -hmm. Love to work with you. (laughs) (laughs) Well, I think um, you kind of touched on my next question, but do you feel like this whole 
movement that's happening in incorporating wellness into the workplace, is it only suited for a tech industry or do you feel like it's infiltrating into other industries beyond just tech and startups? Um, and also just, you know, going off of your personal experience, you know, like, do you have interest in working with other industries or have you worked with uh, other companies that are beyond tech who, who, who want a service like this? Yeah, so absolutely. And it's it's certainly not limited to the tech space uh, for a number of reasons. I mean, I think that leaders across all sorts of industries uh, realize the benefits of these, these sorts of initiatives. I think that all industries are, in a way, fighting for this, the same talent pool or kind of overlapping talent pools. So you can't be recruiting in the finance space and expect that people knowing that Google is also an option for them are going to say, oh, I'm going to choose you know, a firm that shows no commitment to well-being. And frankly, you see major initiatives coming out of companies like Goldman Sachs or Bloomberg or sort of more, more traditional um, types of companies. We work with a variety of industries. So we do work with law firms. Um, sometimes we're not necessarily reaching the attorneys that we hope are going to be sitting in our meditation sessions. Um, we work with a lot of media companies, nonprofits. It's, it's definitely, it's, it's everywhere. And my hypothesis is that in 10 years, it's going to be like a joke that a company wouldn't have you know, some sort of established on-site wellness presence because it's, it's already so shifting to be the norm that I think the companies that don't do it are really going to stand out in a not great way. What would you say are some examples of programming that have worked well? And also, what are what are some pro, some examples of programming that you think don't work well? Yeah, I'd say this may be a, a cop out answer, but pro, one thing that we see a lot from programming that doesn't work well is when a company sets it up but doesn't properly advertise or, or let let their team know what's happening. Mm. Um, Internal marketing is so important for these sorts of programming, and I think the companies that we see really succeed with it, they have such a combination of, of factors that help fuel the success of the program. I think one of the major ones is having internal sponsorship, um, sort of internal advocates, both at the sort of like implementation level, so that might be an HR business partner or an office manager, but then also at a senior level, you know, having people from you know the senior team participating, showing that it's okay to like take time for yourself during the workday. That's super important. And then from the sort of spreading the word perspective as well, like things like having flyers in the back of bathroom stalls, it seems like simple, but it actually makes a big difference to, for people to know what's happening in their office. Everyone gets a zillion emails a day. So, mm-hmm. you know, oftentimes people just go through an archive company announcements is, Sometimes they might miss that something that they really are looking for is is waiting for them a few conference rooms away. Yeah, that's really intriguing, actually. Do you measure or keep track of, uh, you know, the effectiveness of the wellness programming that you're bringing in to a company? So we work closely with our clients to help um, create their own data sets from from their their work. When I again going back to when I launched Exuberancy, I really thought that um, us sort of curating um, studies and that sort of data would be a big part of our business. But what we found is, um, one, companies are super private with their information and they often prefer to sort of have their own, like incorporate data collection into their own practices. I, I think in the last few years, we've seen a major shift in this regard, but 
earliest days of exuberancy, I was also surprised by how many offices were almost like not ready for the data. Like they knew that a wellness program was something that they needed to have. But if senior leadership isn't saying like, show me the return on this program, then the person that's on the ground implementing it is probably not going to like be hounding people to fill out surveys. Um, so we, in short, we don't do a ton of it. Mm-hmm. Um, we do help with things like attendance tracking, which is, you know, one piece of the, the puzzle. Um, yeah. I think that makes me, um, you know, shift into our conversation here uh, and just, you know, the role of corporations. And I'm curious to know uh, your thoughts on, you know, why do you think corporations want to take responsibility for the well-being of their employees? Yeah, I mean, I think there is like a sort of shift going on around sort of what responsibility corporations have to their people. I mean, people spend often about a third of their year of their life, their working life, sitting at their office or working for their company. So, I mean, that's that's a huge, huge piece of, you know, their entire life experience, right? So to have an environment that's not supporting people's well-being, but I think more largely people's happiness, it's it's I think it's getting harder and harder for companies to like live with that, right? And I think this also goes back to this, this sort of shift in sort of like conscious leadership that we're that we're seeing. Um, if you wanted to have a really pessimistic view of it, you could also probably take the angle that it's it's commerce. You know, like it's fighting for talent. It's trying to make that talent be more productive. I mean, I, there's been certainly lots written about how the evolution of the amenitized workplace. We're seeing a ton of it, obviously. And, San Francisco, but all over the country and all over the world is partially like trying to entrap people in their office so that they leave for less time to eat food. They, you know, don't leave early to make it to a spin class because the spin class is down the hall. Um, so you could, I mean, from either side, you can say, mm-hmm. um, but the fact is it's, it's majorly happening um, due to a lot of forces at play. Yeah, I could see it just balancing out over the course of the next five years, you know, people finding, you know, some medium, you know, between like Google offering everything to the smaller companies, just offering maybe a meditation. Uh, On our HR and people episode, we talked a lot about like just flexibility, like just people wanting flexibility as an amenity, being able to work from home or leave early to pick up their kids or, you know, spend more time like outside the office. I don't know if you've seen that through your work. Yeah, and I actually was just heading in the same direction because we've talked so much about like the programming that is changing the traditional office. But yeah, one of the biggest um, sort of moves towards people having more balance right now is flexibility. And you know, there's so many more remote first companies or flexible office based companies that a lot of our clients are also coming to us for solutions to sort of reach people across lots of different sort of work environments. Um, I'll give a shout out to one of our great partners. We work with a platform called, called Burnalong that lets you uh, record fitness classes and then sort of be a part of them at your leisure. So uh, a client could have an office yoga class going on and then later in the day a remote employee could uh, basically participate in that same class or 
later in the day or a month later or whatever. Um, so there's a lot more solutions that are out there. And I think that the, um, the variety of meditation apps um, has also been, been huge. I, a lot of companies are coming to platforms like, uh, like Headspace um, and others to sort of have that sort of experience that can reach more people. Exuberancy also does offer sort of live, live stream opportunities, mm-hmm. call-in meditation sessions, things like that. But we're in the very early days, I think, of innovating on how you create a holistic set of offerings that reach people where they are. I want to talk a bit more about the future here. You know, we always say that this is the Black Mirror question. <laughs> how do you um, so how do you see wellness in the workplace evolving from where it is now to let's say you know in the next twenty years? And to add more to that, um, how do you think it will affect people's behaviors and their and how they value their lifestyles and and work? I think our discussion of sort of the increase of flexibility in the workplace is a perfect segue here because I think that the traditional workplace is going to keep changing rapidly and the idea that people would have a set chair or a set desk that they go to every day will become less and less of a reality. I recently heard a a term uh, that we may have reached peak office for a lot of major (laughs) cities, which would mean that we've built all the offices that we're ever going to need because offices are shrinking, um, companies are moving to remote, et cetera, right? So I do imagine, I mean, what I said before, that the office of the future will have incredible wellness amenities available to all of their people. I certainly believe that for the people that do come into their spaces, but I think it's more of a shift around how people think about integrating wellness into the workday. And that's not just going to meditation or going to um, you know, a, a massage session. I think it's uh, links to the nutrition that mean you know, piece of the puzzle. I think that we'll see an evolution in terms of how companies are feeding people, um, whether that's feeding people in in their office. I mean, you know, a lot of the great tech companies out there are doing really interesting things in terms of like infusing nutrition best practices into their uh, food programs. Um, but then that could be coupled with education for the people that may be preparing their own food. And then you think about these sort of wellness practices. Yes, they're available at the office setting, but then there's like digital tools and more training and sort of just acceptance around sort of the infusion of these moments of self-care into the workday that I think becomes more the norm. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think also there's just a lot more like conversation around wellness practices. We're already, I mean, in New York City, it's crazy. Like when we launched... I think it was still way more the norm that people would go out for drinks with people, the happy hour culture. I mean, it's still alive and well, but uh, now the sweat working culture, I don't know if you guys have heard this buzzword, but it's like taken over, right? People go to fitness classes together and they go to get turmeric elixirs instead of (laughs) drinks. And like, gosh, on on a weeknight, I don't want, I mean, I love wine, but I don't necessarily want to have a drink with my friends, but I want to be with my friends, right? Mm-hmm. So um, I think that shift's going to you know, really be everywhere. Yeah, we see a lot uh, in the research and the work that we do, you know, people wanting to go away from the whole happy hour culture. You know, I mean, we've seen um, cases where you know, people actually feel pressured to be involved in, in happy hour just to like, make a connection, even though they feel uncomfortable interacting in that way. 
you know, and there's definitely this desire to, you know, connect with their colleagues and also just connect with, of course, their family and friends as well in a different way. And I think, uh, you know, sounds like wellness um, and self-care is that other path. Yeah, so we haven't really gotten into it, but Exuberancy also does a lot of um, sort of one-off wellness group experiences. Mm -hmm. And this is something I didn't necessarily expect when we launched, but um, uh, we definitely have companies coming to us saying, gosh, our our culture so much revolves around drinking, Mm -hmm. um, or maybe it historically has, but the company's growing up quickly. People have families, people, you know, are trying to invest more in their own well-being. And and are seeking ways to connect that don't necessarily evolve, involve staying up late or having drinks or whatever it is. Um, so yeah, we do things like I uh, we have you know puppies visit offices. We have I uh, like Jedi lightsaber training classes and like I <laughs> uh, kind of other you know improv comedy workshops and things that create those deep connections, um, but are really friendly to people that may not want to. Um, you know, have a lot of beers with their peeps. <laughs> I think that's really exciting to hear about the diversity of different things because, you know, traditionally, I think why I didn't really want to be in a traditional workplace because I felt like, I don't know, I don't care about March Madness, but I feel like that's <laughs> what I have to care about in March. Um, so, yeah. And like, so it gives other people who, you know, aren't, you know, usually it's like the top leadership directing what the culture is. So it's really interesting how you're going in and kind of disrupting the culture uh, from the outside in, in and kind of giving opportunities for people, yeah, who don't want to be, who want to do different things or like they want to, they don't want to be doing the traditional thing all the time of going to Friday happy hour. Yeah, I think that, uh, you know, this aspect of autonomy is really important. Uh, you know, we want I mean, definitely in, in, in our work, we definitely we want people to feel like they have freedom in their choices. <laughs> um, and culture is such a huge ask and desire uh, from a lot of you know people who are in the workforce right now and also wanting to enter it. So I think it's, yeah. I think it's also interesting how we're also, right now we're kind of experiencing a shift in uh, people's identity with work and in New York, very much people like like their identity is what they do for a living because you're working all the time. But I could also see that shifting with wellness in the workplace. And uh, in the 20 years from now, people may not say like, oh, I'm a lawyer. They may, you know, the conversation is not going to be like, what do you do for a living? It's going to be like, oh, what do you do for wellness or (laughs) for fun? Or, you know, people are going to be just so more multidimensional with this new transition. Totally. What I will say, as a sort of game for myself in New York, I really try not to ask people what they do in conversations, and it like it's like a tick. It's like so the easy thing. It's like the way people connect in New York. I will say, when I lived in um, Seattle, I found it was really different, and I think it's a a different workplace culture out there. Um, Also, just uh, the great outdoors and um, sort of wellness were. You know, this was a decade ago, but we're already such a big part of, of life in the Pacific Northwest. Mm-hmm. And I remember, you know, people saying, oh, so like, what do you do on the weekends? Like literally like, oh, do you, ca- do you kayak? Um, I ki- it's kayaking season. You know, so yeah, maybe we'll get, I think we're getting there as a, as a city. Yeah, there's just interesting dichotomy of, you know, the workplace 
kind of dictating or or implementing a culture, whereas you know our and I guess like our lifestyles outside of work and just our histories that determine you know just our cultural behaviors over time um, can also affect these decisions. So I think that's really interesting how you know. It's, it's up to us to shape our culture through just our habits. You know, let's say I'm, I am a huge kayaker. No matter whether I'm in Seattle or in New York, I would make sure maybe in March I'm kayaking instead of doing participating in March Madness. Mm -hmm. But I see this really interesting, you know, drive from uh, organizations wanting to, you know, enrich people's lives through a through a culture. Yeah, and I also think that organizations are getting smarter in terms of how to just sort of bring out these interesting um, things that unite people. Um, going to the diversity and inclusion sort of conversation that you had recently, um, my friend was recently talking about how there's the sort of above the iceberg things that you see within a company, like mm -hmm. all the like sort of obvious things that make us diverse, but then there's so much that's below, like below the, the waterline on the iceberg, right? Um, yeah. yeah, above and below. Yeah. That's the theme of That's the theme of our podcast. podcast. Oh, yeah. <laughs> is, that, is that where the name came from? Yeah. Oh, yeah. my God. The iceberg theory. <laughs> That's amazing. <laughs> Sorry that I didn't know the origin story, but that makes great sense, right? So, yeah. um, obviously, the below, there's so much that makes us diverse, and there's so many things, wellness and wellness related and not wellness related that unite us. And I think companies are getting a lot smarter about how to really empower their people to um, to show those things at work and how to you know connect people um, based on those interests. And we do find that these wellness programs that we offer tend to unite, you know, they create a plane of connection amongst people that um, really might not unite that group um, mm -hmm. in a typical work scenario. Yeah, we're definitely moving away from this idea of, you know, only wearing a professional mask in the workplace. And I think that's an interesting topic as well, you know, because maybe some people only want to show up in a professional way and then leave and live their lives and be the extreme kayaker that they are. <laughs> <laughs> Keep the mystery. Yeah. Well, one more thing I want to address uh, in terms of the future of work and the evolution here that we're speaking of, um, you know, since, you're, since you are working more... In, in the spatial aspect as well, um, how do you see the future of the workspace evolving? I mean, you mentioned you know how there's already um, more yoga studios and meditation studios uh, uh, in an office environment. Um, what other you know spatial aspects do you see uh, changing or, or or coming into the workspace uh, in the future? Well, we're definitely deep into sort of the open office as the norm mm -hmm. shift and. I do think we're almost seeing the pendulum start swinging back a little bit because there are a lot of challenges that come with the open office, right? Um, noise privacy, kind of the sense of of having like a place that's yours that can be organized, um, especially for like the hoteling companies that aren't um, necessarily giving people uh, private desks anymore. Mm -hmm. um, and I think what where we'll land in terms of best practices is definitely like a hybrid um, in in my opinion, I think having a dedicated spot for your stuff, whether it's a desk you come to every day or a place that you keep your stuff you know, in the workplace is, is really important. And then um, as you go about your day, like really having options. So whether it's a desk site, ideally you know, a desk site where you can stand or sit as you're working and then having access to other spaces 
Um, I spend a lot of my day working from a sofa. I know it's not probably the most ergonomically sound thing, but I, you know, balance it out. And I, I just feel like I get into the zone when I'm in, in that kind of space. Um, and then phone booths are, are, you know, private spaces for calls. It's so important. It's definitely something that I think a lot of companies are still lacking. Um, and so, yeah, I, I definitely think that there's so much work to be done still in terms of just creating, you know, carving out these different spaces for, for well-being. And then it's already happening a lot, but thinking about plants, thinking about air quality, thinking about colors that, you know, stimulate creativity or relaxation or whatever you're looking for at different um, points in the day. Mm-hmm. Um, I think that's, people are really getting smart about that too. And I know that Google has their people um, innovation lab that's literally running tests all day long on sort of what spaces are um, uh, the most con- uh, conducive. Is the, what's a word? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> all of a sudden I was like, works. have I ever said this word before? <laughs> um, to, for, you know, promoting well-being basically. Awesome. So is there anything else you want to add before we wrap up? Gosh, no. I mean, thank you so much for having me. It's it's so fun geeking out with you guys on this this subject because <laughs> it's just endlessly oh, for sure. cool and it's changing so fast. So, you know, it's fun to all be part of this this uh, this movement. Yeah. So if you're looking for wellness in the workplace, reach out to Liz. At <laughs> thank Exuberancy. you. Shameless <laughs> plug. Yeah. yeah. Thank you so much for being on our show. Thanks so much for having me, guys. I really do appreciate it. Um, thanks for you know, helping spread the word on, on all of these amazing subjects. Yeah, it was great to have you. To all our listeners, if you have any questions and comments about this episode, we encourage you to email us at hello at aboveandbelow.nyc. We have many more topics to cover about the future of the workplace, and you can stay in the loop with us by subscribing to our channels on iTunes, Spotify, or Anchor. Thanks so much for listening.